0: The following is a re-recorded message from the June 25th service at CTK Sudden Valley delivered by Sarah Tisdale. Allow me to begin by confessing to you my fear of public speaking. I am terrified to be in front of you all and speak on behalf of Jesus. Did you know that public speaking instills a greater fear in most people than death itself? Right now, I feel like I want to vomit, run away, and probably pass out. So please, extend to me your grace as I take an enormous step of faith with God to deliver the message that he placed on my heart for you. Now this may seem like an unnecessary question. But are you wanting, are you longing, do you desire to have a real relationship with God and be used by him? Faith is foundational for this wonderful reality. But before we can begin the conversation on how God uses flawed people who are willing to walk by faith, I must first address the elephant in the room, God. During my preparation for this message, I could not shake this passage from 2 Timothy 1.12. It says, Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed. This is where we must start the conversation of real faith. Do you really know whom you have believed in? We cannot walk by faith with God if we do not truly know him. When we have an accurate perception of God, it is unthinkable to not walk by faith with him. But we may be forced to realize that our perception is something that we ourselves have created and not the one true God at all. All too often, I think that God must listen to our pitifully small acclamations, expectations, and petitions in prayer and want to shout at us. Are you talking to me because I am not recognizing myself in this conversation? Are you sure you have the right God? Allow me to pose another question. Does God overwhelm your life? Or is he just a part of it? A giant step in the walk of faith is the one that we take when we realize that God is no longer a part of our lives. When we decide that he is no longer a part of our lives, he is our life. Deuteronomy thirty twenty describes this very well, and I encourage you to write it on your heart because it has changed my life. My Father, you are the Lord my God. I desire to love you. Listen to your voice and hold fast to you, for you, Lord, are my life. You see, a true biblical faith in God goes against everything that opposes him. It is remaining faithful to his character, whatever he may do, whatever test comes up against our faith in him. So the question then becomes, what's competing with your faith? Is it a fear of man, like it is for me? False gods or idols? A circumstance that has left you feeling completely hopeless? Or maybe you just can't fathom how brilliant our God really is. Whatever it may be, to gain from the testing, we must steadfastly believe in, and cling to who he is. 2 Corinthians 13.5 instructs us to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, to test ourselves. The reason our faith has to be so strong during this testing is because doubt is so real. 1 Timothy 6.12 pleads to us for this reason, to fight the good fight of faith. Now, if you still don't know where to begin in this conversation, do you have faith in what Jesus has done? That he saved us from being separated from God by sacrificing his life for us, that he became the compensation for sin, that he redeemed the world even for those who do not love him. That he made right what was terribly wrong, made pure what was completely rotten, and whitewashed our crimson stains with his holiness. Do you have faith in Jesus' life? This morning, I am honored to share a story with you about one of the Old Testament heroes who made it into Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith. This is someone who was the furthest from holy, yet God used them. Gentile prostitute embedded into the wall of Jericho. In her time, she is known for her occupation. And in our lifetime, she is known for her faith in God and her place in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were unbelieving. Everyone in the city knew Rahab. They knew that she was an intimate friend of the king. They also knew that she was a high-class whore. Though this may have been her reality, Rahab had one great advantage over both the king and his people. She had heard from the many men that visited her only to use her body that the Israelites and their God were to be feared. Hearing stories about how God rescued them from Egypt, the way he parted the Red Sea for them to cross, how he provided for them when they were wandering the wilderness, and how he made them victorious over the Amorites. Rahab learned enough about the Israelites' God to declare Joshua 2.11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It is this change of heart, this faith, coupled with the actions prompted by faith that saved Rahab and her entire family. Her faith enabled her to turn away from her people, her culture, and her religion and turn to the one true God, the God of the Israelites. Rahab knew that a commitment to a true faith in God required setting priorities that were contrary to those of the world, to the world that she knew for many years. Rahab's U-turn should not come as an astonishment to us. Because we are instructed by God to turn away from our worlds as well. Romans 12, 2 lays it out pretty clearly. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Rahab was faithful to live out this command. Jericho was the most significant Canaanite fortress in the Jordan Valley and a stronghold directly in the path of the advancing Israelites. But God chose the Hebrews, a nation of slaves, the lowest of the low, and was going to use them to bring down the mighty Gentiles of Jericho. Now you may know the story, Joshua, Moses' assistant who is now leading God's people to the promised land, selects two of his men to spy behind enemy lines. When the Israelites sent spies into Jericho, it was not a shock. In fact, the king knew about the spies, but concealed his fear of them from his people. And I say this not only because that's what it says in the Bible, but also because I don't think Rahab kept her faith in God hidden from the king. I bet she warned the king of the destruction that was in their future. Because when we place genuine faith in the real God, it becomes almost impossible for it to not leak through our very being and share it with everyone around us. It's contagious. Do you know someone with a faith like this? Rahab knew God, and no one would be able to stop her from being faithful to him. She knew that her faith in God was not a pathetic feeling, but a strong and vital confidence in him and what he was about to do. You see, Rahab was perceptive, intelligent, and well-informed. She identified the spies for who they were, hid them, and then had a plausible story that deceived the king's servants when they arrived at her doorstep looking for them. Now, are you curious, like I was, why the spies, God's holy and chosen people, entered a brothel? Well, allow me to convince you that it was actually a divine selection. It is possible that Rahab's home was a good place to avoid detection because it wasn't unusual for voyagers to first visit the hands of a harlot upon entry to a new city. Perhaps this wouldn't arouse suspicion and could have been completely overlooked by the citizens of Jericho. Rahab's home also provided an easier escape because remember, it was embedded into the city's bordering wall. Nevertheless, I believe that Rahab was actually anticipating the arrival of the spies and essentially might have encouraged and enticed them into her home. After all, she was well-conditioned in her occupation and more than aware of what was about to happen to her city. Rahab's first faithful statement to the spies was Joshua 2.9. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Can't you feel the distress of her words? Rahab wanted to belong to the God who was coming. She saw things differently from everyone else in her community and she gambled her future and her family's on the dream of living for the Israelites, God, and being his. She chose God. Rahab knew exactly what she was doing for the Israelites, and she did so without fear of the future. Rahab placed her faith in God, and I know this, because she uses the word kindness in Joshua 2.12. Now then, please swear to me that you will show kindness, My family, because I have shown kindness to you. Kindness translated in Hebrew is the word hesed, meaning covenantal love. The word hesed means a legal agreement that God makes with people to cover them. Much like an umbrella doesn't stop it from raining, but does cover the person under it from getting rained on. The covenant that Rahab made with the spies did not stop the Israelites from destroying and killing everyone in Jericho, but it did provide a covering that protected Rahab's life and all of her family. You see, Rahab took the risk of identifying with the God that she had faith in and what he was about to do. She knew what the covering of God meant, and she took action that made sure she had it. If living without fear of the future is something that you desire, then are you willing to take the risk of identifying with God and what he wants to do with your life? God covers us when we are willing to confess to him through an action of faith, as Rahab courageously modeled. Confession to God is our public identification with him, and it is how he relates to us in the progression of our history. Allow me to clarify something. Confession to God is not about salvation to get to heaven. Believing in Jesus Christ is how we get salvation for heaven. Confession is about our salvation while we are here living on earth. In other words, when we trust Jesus, we get to heaven. But when we confess to him through an action of faith, heaven gets to us and we are covered by it. Not only are we being covered by confession, but God also offers to us the protection and covering of his armor. Ephesians 6.16 tells us to take up the shield of faith. That the shield of faith is something we are required to raise in order to stay covered. Just strapping it to our arm will not do any good. We must make the effort to hold up faith and use it. When we have placed our faith in Jesus, he becomes our first line of defense. The shield of faith is his person. His blood, his righteousness, and his sacrifice. Rahab held up an enormously large shield that protected and covered not only her, but her entire family. Rahab's shield of faith was believing God to do the impossible. That he would save her and her family, even though they were the enemy of his chosen people. What is the most impossible thought that you have? I'm here to tell you, God is capable. For me, it is that I would be so identified with Christ that there is nothing of the old life left in me. Faith, then, is believing God to do the impossible and living as if he has already done it. Now, you may have heard the saying, to walk by faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. What I have gathered from this passage is that our actions of faith must be established on the hope that Jesus will meet us in them and on the certainty that what he is asking us to do is for the greater good of his kingdom. Because, you see, we must come to an understanding that our faith in God, our actions of faith, are intended to bring honor and glory to him, not to ourselves. That believing and trusting in Jesus is exclusively for his story. For the most part, and I'm assuming this, but we are all here today because we are sure that we have placed our hope in the right person and certain of the future that we cannot see. If you have faith in Jesus' life, if you trust and you believe and you are following God, then listen closely. This Hebrews 11.1, one, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see tells us about the life of a believer. When we take the greatest step of faith, which is death, we anticipate that we will be with God in heaven. To walk by faith in and trust in Jesus simply means that we have to step out where we cannot see anything. Matthew 14 illustrates the time when Peter, one of the 12 disciples, gets out of the boat and walks on water to Jesus. Peter takes a hopeful step towards Jesus and a confident, certain step into Jesus' command to get out of the boat. Peter's story teaches us that when we are stepping out in faith, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in order to remain encouraged. Otherwise, we will sink. However, even when we do look away and doubt God, he is still faithful to encourage us. Jesus continues the lesson by asking Peter a question that doesn't appear encouraging at first. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But what Jesus is really saying here, based on knowing his character, is in fact encouraging. Where is your faith, Peter? I have not given you a reason to doubt me. Walking by faith can be uncomfortable. It usually is. But God is there to encourage us, which creates in us a confidence to continue walking. Allow me to illuminate this process in Rahab's story. I highly doubt that Rahab was comfortable with the actions of faith that she took. But as she was obedient, God encouraged her. I wouldn't be surprised if she thought that the spies might take advantage of her like every other man did. But when they didn't, Rahab was encouraged to go forth with hiding them. God's encouragement then gave her the confidence to lie to the king. Now if I were Rahab, I would feel pretty uncomfortable if my dishonesty was ever uncovered, because it would probably mean my life. Rahab was faithful to hide God's spies, and when she did, God encouraged her to do the next uncomfortable step, plead to her entire family to remain within the covering of her home to stay alive. Now. If I were Rahab, I would feel extremely uncomfortable because without a doubt, Rahab's family probably disowned her even further. I mean, she was already a prostitute, probably saw her as a complete traitor, and didn't believe her at all. Up until, of course, they were the only ones left standing. And do you recognize the pattern? Here's another example. For the last month, I have been extremely uncomfortable with the step of faith I took by agreeing to deliver a message for this series. The moment I was alone to think about what I just committed to, doubts began flooding my mind. Even still, I feel inadequate and not at all equipped to be doing this. But God has been faithful to encourage me by providing me with scriptures. Conversations in time. You see, God prepares us to succeed. When he calls us to act in faith on behalf of his glory, why wouldn't we succeed? By now in this conversation, you might be wondering if your faith is false. The counterfeit of faith is a state of mind in which we work up occasions to sacrifice ourselves. Now I think we can all agree it is much easier to sacrifice when we are willing than when God wills us to. Which is why 1 Samuel 15.22 says, To obey is better than sacrifice. A false faith, then, is clearly seeing ground to stand on by our own intellect. But faith is not intelligent understanding or common sense. Faith is a deliberate, attentive commitment to God where we see no way and trusting him where our common sense cannot. Are you debating whether to take a step of faith with Jesus or are you waiting until you can see how to do the thing yourself? I have noticed that God often does not give us the whole blueprint at a time, but one step to take. And as we trust him, more steps are revealed. Because the more we act in faith, the more we are are able to begin knowing ourselves in God and build upon our spiritual discernment of who it is we claim to believe in and who it is he says we are in him. Another essential understanding in our walk of faith, one that I think gets brushed aside all too often, is that we must consistently concern God, take a long first look at Him, and then go forth in action. The image of the cross represents the idea of up first to concern God and then out to concern the world. If we obey what God says according to our sincere belief in what he is asking us to do, he will remain faithful to break us from the actions that misrepresent him. In other words, we don't need to worry about hearing incorrectly from God, because he is faithful to guide us. Faith, then, is going until he tells us to stop. Did you know that, similar to a relationship we would have on earth, trust actually goes both ways in our relationship with God? Do you feel like God trusts you? Or a better question, do you want him to trust you? The story of Rahab shows us that when we place our faith in God, he will remain faithful to us. Rahab trusted God She anticipated him to be faithful to her in return. God trusted Rahab. It's almost as if he was like, who can I hide and cover and protect my spies? Oh, I'll call on Rahab. I can trust her. Don't you want to be someone that God trusts? God trusted Rahab to protect his people, and when she did, he secured the promise that he made to her to be covered when he demolished Jericho. However, there is a difference between a heavenly relationship and an earthly one when it comes to trust. And thank goodness for that. In our heavenly relationship, the one we have with God, one end is unwavering. God will always be faithful to us. Brace yourselves. God does not exist for us. He did not need Rahab to bring his people to the promised land. And he does not need us to accomplish what he desires. But he chooses to use us. How great is our God. He has faith in us and he trusts that we want to be used by him when we call on his name and choose to need him. It is my hope that by now, we realize faith must be active. It is not passive. Faith is demonstrated by our action, not by our discussion. It is demonstrated by how we are walking, not by how we are talking. Let's take a look at another place in the Bible where Rahab shows up. James 2.25-26 says, In the same way... Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In the book of James, Rahab exemplifies how our faith in God is made complete by what we do. Now, I'm sorry if what I'm about to say hurts or offends you. But I'm not that sorry because it's the truth. Faith in God is completely useless when it's not used. When we proclaim our faith in God, we are then obligated to do what we can with what we have where we are at. That is all God is asking of us. Doing deeds and acting in faith cannot be manufactured. They are unique to each person and they are not something habitual. It could be as drastic as Rahab hiding the spies or as simple as stopping to have a conversation with the homeless. Now are you wondering how to live out your faith? Well here's a start. We cannot live out God's righteousness if our only means to receive his instruction is by reading and comprehending the words of the Bible. That would be arrogant. We must allow them to take root, transform, and create in us a completely new way of living so that our everyday actions actually become our faith. It is my prayer for us. That we would hear and read God's word and then be obedient to actually do what it says. I have noticed that Rahab's name is always inserted between prostitute and faith. We read the prostitute Rahab who lived by faith. Or Rahab the prostitute who was spared because of her faith. I mean, give her a break. Her name never appears without those two attributes attached to it, which is why I believe purposely achieves God's intention for including her story in the scriptures. You see, because God desires to use the flawed and the imperfect, because it is that group of followers who are willing to confess their need for a redeemer. They are humbled before God. Yielding to his sovereignty and gladly allowing their pride to dissolve. Giving Jesus all the glory he deserves. God uses Rahab's story to show us that it is not too late for our lives to turn around. Especially in those places that we are content. It is not too late to be renewed and freed from what has overwhelmed us with such guilt and shame. When we feel so far away from a comeback, but elect to live out our faith in God anyways, we actually inspire him to use us for his glory. But church, we must be careful of returning to what we once were when God wants us to be something we have never been. Rahab was no longer viewed as an unclean prostitute but as one worthy by grace to be part of the holiest lineage. Matthew 1.5 says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Do you understand what this means? Jesus Christ, the holiest of holy has a Gentile prostitute directly in his line. Just as Rahab was grafted into the line of Christ, so we become children of God and participants in his inheritance when we place our faith in Jesus and actually do something with it. God aches for us to go out without knowing what he will do rather knowing that he knows what he's doing. He hungers for our faith in him to be so confident that we might not know where we are being led, but we love and we know the one who is leading. My final thought and challenge for us is to recognize that Rahab lived before Jesus came to transfer his Holy Spirit so that God could be with his people. Yet her faith in God helped tear down the wall of Jericho so that the Israelites could finally enter the promised land. We have been gifted with the Holy Spirit. And God has already transferred his righteousness onto us through his son Jesus. How much stronger could our faith be during the testing, and what could living it out look like if not only are we being covered as Rahab was, but we know that we are walking hand in hand with the author and perfecter of our faith.